the crossroads of the world, the Great White Way, Broadway. It's where the neon lights are bright, or at least they were. I'm Eva Price. I'm a Tony Award-winning Broadway producer. Uh, when Broadway shut on March 12th, I was producing Jagged Little Pill on Broadway. And I'm here to And um, I'm surviving the turn of events to the best of my abilities. The theater district is at the core of New York City's identity. Broadway is one of the main attractions for the more than 65 million visitors who come to New York City each year. Total ticket sales for theaters on Broadway in 2019 approached $2 billion. The Broadway League says it's responsible for $12.6 billion in related economic activity here. There are more than 12,600 people directly employed in Midtown theaters, and another 74,000 have jobs related to Broadway. All of those people saw their livelihoods taken away in the blink of an eye when Broadway was closed because of the coronavirus pandemic on March 12, 2020. At some point, it will come back. The questions are, when? What will it be like, and will people feel comfortable filling theaters again? I'm Steve Kastenbaum, and this is New York Gritty, a podcast about the resiliency of New Yorkers in times of crisis and the stories of those who keep this city's magic alive during dark times. People come to New York and a visit isn't complete without going to a Broadway show. And when they think of Broadway, they think of the actors, the musicians, the dancers, the singers, uh, the set designers, the people on the stage making it happen. But I don't know that the producer's role enters the mind very much for the average theater goer. Can you tell me what that's like being a producer? Because <laughs> you're the quite honestly, you're the first Broadway producer I've ever spoken with. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what we're not all is men over 60 with a cigar hanging out of our mouth, which is what I thought Broadway producers all were <laughs> when I first became one. Um, we are a group of people that range in ethnicity and race and gender and age and taste and passion. Uh, so, you know, for every producer you meet there, there is a stark difference. I, I assure you between them. Uh, but what we all are, are emotional entrepreneurs who care deeply about an art form and the artist and the art of storytelling. And we care deeply about the economics of our shows and the financial viability and the potential success and commerciality of them. Uh, our job, just to boil it down, you know, quite simply, is we are the CEO of the show. Think of every show as a company. Every producer is the CEO. They are the founder. They are the financial uh, backer. They are the chief strategist and and marketer. So the the job is eating 
sleeping, breathing, living your show to its utmost potential. Um, you know, the buck really does stop with you. You decide when to open, you decide when to close, you decide how much everything's going to cost and you decide who to hire and fire. I mean, you, you know, you, you really are the CEO in that way. Let's go back to the beginning of uh, 2020. Tell me, what were you doing in January? How were things going for you? Oh, wow. January of 2020. And I, I'm recently reminded because uh, good old Facebook does a very good job of, of reminding you one year later of things, as I'm sure you know. So I was recently reminded that when I woke up on January 1st, 2020, I was on vacation in Curacao. I had a great week. <laughs> And I was heading back to New York City, uh, quite excited, quite optimistic. I had just opened Jagaloo Pill on Broadway the month prior in December. Our cast and Alanis Morissette had performed live at the ball drop in Times Square. Uh, and the future was open and bright and was quite optimistic about my career, about my projects, about my opportunities, and about the Broadway space. It had reached record highs in terms of audience numbers, audience diversity, uh, box office grosses. Um, we we were coming off of a, a banner couple years, uh, just as an industry in general throughout North America, uh, and and specifically in New York. And I was really proud of the work I had in my pipeline and that I had been working on because I felt like the shows that I was producing were not only audience favorites and, and critical favorites and, and box office uh, you know, potential favorites, but they were saying something about the world. They were commenting on the community we were living in and showing the the difficult truths of a American family and taking a look at xenophobia and toxic masculinity and, and, and shining a light on, on how we overcome that and dealing with things like addiction and assault and, and other real life issues that kitchen tables across America are forced to talk about or not talk about and deal with. We were helping survivors and, and helping all sorts of theater goers grapple with, with real serious topics on Broadway. And we were making a difference. And all of that, a couple months later, stopped. Hi, my name is Ira Mont. I'm a lifelong resident of Brooklyn, New York, and I am the production stage manager of Jagged Little Pill on Broadway. How long have you been on Broadway as a stage manager? I made my Broadway debut in uh, 1993 uh, with a show called Cyrano the Musical at the Neil Simon Theater. Jagged Little Pill is my 20th Broadway show. 20 Broadway shows. So you know this theater district better than most people do. <laughs> I know the district pretty well. Uh, as a lifelong New Yorker, I was uh, coming to Broadway shows since the age of 10 and uh, been, as I said, working on Broadway since 1993. I've worked in 17 of the 41 Broadway theaters. You're more than a ringmaster here in this theater. The stage manager is the glue that holds a production together. We're like the chief operations officer of a large corporation. We're the facilitator, the communicator. We are responsible for the uh, scheduling, 
for the um, facilitation of the artistic, technical, and administrative needs of the show. We make sure the rehearsals happen. We get the show through its technical production period, and then we make sure the show happens every every night or every afternoon at a matinee. We're we're in the meetings to discuss planning for press events. We uh, rehearse understudies and replacements. You're the central nervous system of the Broadway show. That's a wonderful way to put it. We're we're the central nervous system. I. I I like that. We're the central nervous system of a show. So take me back to January of 2020 and this theater, what you were doing, what, what you were doing at the time and how this production was going. So in January of 2020, Jagged Little Pill had been open for uh, about a month. We opened on December 5th of 2019 and we were in the midst of uh, selling out performances and standing ovations and fantastic fans. Uh, I personally was in the midst of lots of rehearsals, getting understudies prepared, uh, vacation swings hired and prepared because we were already coming up on uh, the point where our cast would be eligible to take their vacation time. So it was a very busy time. We were in full six days a week of performances and rehearsals. My wife is also a Broadway stage manager. She was doing The Inheritance on Broadway at the same time. Uh, so it was, it was busy and good and fun. It's exactly what I like to do and what my career is. Then how does it feel to be here today outside this closed theater? So many theaters on this block also closed and they haven't heard the roar of the crowds inside since March of 2020. It's frustrating and it's troubling and it's heartbreaking. Uh, I've been outside and actually inside the Broadhurst a couple of times during the pandemic for, for different reasons. But being on what you could really only call a desolate West 44th Street in the middle of a weekday is different. Now, it's not the first or only time I've ever been on the street when it's quiet. When I arrive at the theater at 8 a.m., when we're in production, of course, it's a quiet time, but knowing why it is so quiet and empty right now is really, it's really difficult. And the only thing that makes it not completely heart-wrenching is knowing that there is an end in sight now. Uh, a little further off than any of us hope, and it's been longer than any of us had allowed ourselves to believe in the beginning, but I, I'm looking forward to seeing people just pushing their way along this sidewalk, standing in line at the box offices and going into the theaters. Hi, my name is Derek Klenna. I grew up in Southern California. I've been living in New York now for 10 years. Uh, I'm an actor here in the city. I came to New York to be a part of the production of Carrie the Musical off-Broadway, and that led to me being now in four Broadway musicals, uh, Wicked, Bridges of Madison County, Anastasia, and currently in the Broadway cast of Jagged Little Pill. Do you remember the first time you set foot in New York when you got off the plane, you got to Manhattan? I do. It was it was a rather quick adjustment. I I lay, I just finished finals at, at UCLA for my fall quarter, and I 
Carrie, the first rehearsal for Carrie was only a couple days after that. So I had to kind of uproot my life rather quickly, moved to New York, moved in with some friends and started rehearsal basically the following day. It sounds like you got thrown right into the fire as soon as you got here. Yeah, but I feel like that's the best way to go about it. I think if you're going to get immersed into the culture and the scene in New York, it's best just to rip the Band-Aid off and, and jump in. I feel like they're, they're, you can't really tread water or test the waters here in the city. I think you just got to dive in because if you don't, you're, you're going to get left behind. The city doesn't wait for anybody. What did it mean to you to land this role? I mean, Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill, th- this all of her music, that time period here in the U.S., I mean, she touched so many people with those songs. And, and then to have this uh, morph into a Broadway show, what did it mean to you to, to land this? I knew going into it that it was going to be a big deal. You know, uh, not only is it Alanis Morissette, but it's um, it's Diablo Cody, who is, is, you know, at the top of her game, an amazing, amazing writer with tons of accolades. Um so I knew it was going to be a, a big project and a big undertaking and a huge um, opportunity. Do you remember what that made opening night like in December? It was, I mean, it was like a rock concert. <laughs> I think everybody was very excited to, to one, get to that point. You know, opening nights are always a huge celebration. It's, it really takes an army to, to mount a Broadway show. Um, but one that had the the music that we have and and the heart and the emotion i mean it you know it was amazing it was amazing to experience that with our cast with the audience i think it impacts people in a in a pretty profound way especially you know i'm really excited to remount the show in this new current environment so much has changed over the year and i think it's only going to make our our messages that much more impactful and her music that much more emotional to to perform and also, from an audience perspective, interpret. Uh, Hi, my name is Deanne Stewart and I am a multi-hyphenate creative um, artist based in New York. I um, am in Broadway's Jagged Little Pill. I also do some content creation online for brands and Um, singing and songwriting and a bunch of different creative things. I'm also a new small business owner. (laughs) I have an event planning company, event curating company really. We do planning, design, and yeah, so I I do a lot of different things. (laughs) When did your career on Broadway begin? So I just um, joined the cast on Broadway um, at the start of last year. <laughs> so it's kind of short-lived with me being on Broadway. Um, but I had been in uh, the national tour of Beautiful, the Carol King musical before that. I've done um, other regional shows. I was in a show off-Broadway, which was actually like my first, uh, my first big thing after finishing school and moving to New York. I've done quite a few things, but yeah, Broadway itself uh, at the Broadhurst only started in January of 2020. When you're doing that day after day, six shows a week, spending so much time with your Broadway family, you sort of have tunnel vision on, I I would imagine. Do, Do you remember at that time, while you were so focused on your work, do you remember the first time you heard about coronavirus? I, I mean, I remember it, you know, it kind of popping up and it being like, a, I, rem, I mean, I remember when it got to New York. I, rem, I remember that day kind of um, 
But um, yeah, I remember it being like, oh wow, uh oh, this like sounds like maybe it could be a problem, and especially for somewhere like this where they're saying this is so easily transmittable and all this stuff. There was a lot of concern about Broadway, and and the fact that you've got a thousand people or so in some of these theaters sitting very close to each other, the backstage areas being so tight. I mean, some of those theaters are from the late 19th century and and it hit your your cast. Yeah, I mean, so we had a few of us, I mean, quite a few of us that ended up getting the virus, um, whether that be, you know, it was from the subway or wherever, but definitely ended up impacting quite a few of us. Um, and it was just, uh, you know, it was a scary time. Like I, I got the virus and I remember, you know, I think it was a Thursday, the, the 12th was a Thursday when everything kind of uh, was shut down. And then by that Monday, I think we knew that we had a positive case. And then um, I'd say, yeah, between that Monday and like the next uh, few days following, a few more people were like, uh oh, I think I have symptoms, you know? And I mean, that was, that Monday was the day I also was like, I don't really feel well. <laughs> I was like, am I, is this in my head? But, um, and I think by maybe that Thursday or so after, I ended up getting a test and, you know, tested positive. And so it was, I mean, it was a hard and scary time, especially because we just didn't know so much about it. And I remember the day that the, the taste and smell symptoms were finally being, um, finally being communicated in the media because that was a main thing that me and most of my castmates that uh, definitely had it were experiencing and stuff and but nobody was talking about it yet none of us really knew what to think at the time that's Derek Klena again one of Jagged Little Pill's cast members Broadway never sleeps for anything I mean we basically perform through storms uh, <laughs> you know so we had no idea that it would have the kind of impact that it did um, on Broadway, on America as a whole, on the world. I mean, it, it really, it really, I think, shocked everyone. I remember Catherine Gallagher, um, we have dressing rooms right next to each other and she would give me updates. She was very, she was very on the coronavirus, uh, statistics that were coming out. And she was like, Derek, I think this is going to be a big deal. I think we're going to close down. And I was like, no way. There's no way Broadway's closing. Broadway's relentless. I mean, I, I would be shocked if we missed, you know, more than a performance or two. And sure enough, like a week later, things started to close. Uh, it was starting to hit the U.S. harder and harder. It was, um, it, it kind of, it kind of happened in a blink of an eye. Within a couple weeks, uh, things escalated and, and we found ourselves, you know, at home. I actually I actually had coronavirus the 4 days leading up to the shutdown. I wasn't a, I wasn't in the show. I was actually homesick and didn't know at the time that I had covid until later that week when tests were more accessible. So yeah, my last performance was the Sunday before the shutdown and then I think everything shut down on a Thursday. So yeah, I'd been out of the show for 4 days and found out that following Sunday that it was in fact COVID. And then soon after that, uh, within two or three weeks, I would say 10 to 15 members of our company came down with COVID as well. It definitely came in one kind of tidal wave through the, through the Broadway community and, and through New York as a whole. It was the governor. 
that's it. We're closing Broadway. Jagged Little Pill producer Eva Price. You know, involved in that there is communication between between the governor's office and the leadership of Broadway and our and our trade association, the Broadway League. Do you remember when you first started hearing about coronavirus? I do. I do. So I listen to Up First every morning um, just to sort of get in the the basis of my news. And I was hearing about it and I was reading about it on occasion and, you know, whatever New York Times news briefing or other news briefing I was getting. And um, I, you know, like a lot of people assumed it was a thing in China that I didn't have to worry about that was small and concerning, but not something that was going to affect my everyday. So I did very little to prepare myself or plan for for what it could become. Um, I I blame you know failure in leadership, frankly, for not telling me otherwise. But I also blame my own naivete and optimism that um, we as an industry and America as a place and New York as as a as as the greatest city in the world were immune to any kind of legitimate harm. Do you remember hearing Mayor de Blasio say around then, it's not a matter of if, but when this comes to us? I remember those words, Steve, but I don't remember the feeling that those words had gravity or graveness. And and again, I, I'm partially to blame, right? Like I will take my own naivete and optimism to task for not preparing me more. But, you know, in the same vein that that was being said, it was also what also, as you recall, was being said is keep going to work, keep living your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember thinking, yeah, that's not going to last. I remember thinking it is just a matter of time before it comes to New York and it's probably going to get bad because of the density here, because of the fact that New York City is an international city and people are coming and going from this city every day from all parts of the world. And I maybe it's because I'm a journalist. I just remember feeling very pessimistic at that time. But it doesn't sound like you were yet. No, no, sadly, I wasn't. I, I you know, I have two very memorable conversations that, um, you know, in, if I had like a replayola like they had on the Jetsons, <laughs> I would go mm-hmm. back to. And act on one was on March third. Uh, an actress who who works for me um, actually said to me um, after a company meeting, "Are we going to get shut down?" And I looked at her. I go, "What? Are you crazy? No one shuts Broadway down. No, no, no. Everything. No, it'll be fine." I I started to 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 make a few different choices. Uh, about two days later, I was supposed to get on a plane to go to Chicago on March 6th to attend an opening of my tour, What the Constitution Means to Me. And I didn't really need to get on a plane. And I didn't really need to go to Chicago. Uh, The show can open on its own. There were going to be plenty of openings I wouldn't be attending. I was just with the company in Los Angeles the month before. and after having a conversation with a couple people about the seriousness of the virus, I thought I don't need to get on a plane and go to Chicago right now. Mm-hmm. And then that following Tuesday, I was supposed to get on a plane and go see my parents 
my elderly parents in Florida. And I remember thinking the same thing. We're now talking March 10th. And I remember thinking, I don't need, I mean, it would be great, but I don't need to get on a plane and go expose myself to a bunch of elderly people (laughs) in what is a the start of what feels like a pandemic that affects in the in the worst way people who are older and elderly and so you know much to their chagrin and much to their disappointment i canceled that trip you know only to be sitting in a room 2 days later with the leadership of broadway uh you know hearing news from the governor saying that broadway is now shut down with that in mind how many people depend on Broadway every day to make a living? Well, an awful lot, Steve. Um, Because when you ask it that way, in terms of making a living, you're also asking about every restaurant, every parking garage, every dry cleaner, every, you know, concessionaire uh, that is also in and around the Broadway district that relies on Broadway to make a living. The guy that builds the signs, the electrician from the local bulb place, the you know caterer who delivers meals, um, and you know not to mention every Broadway worker. You know, so the number that I see um, constantly um, thrown around is ninety thousand people. Ninety thousand. Uh, ninety thousand hmm. people. Um, but I think it goes way, way, way beyond that because of the epicenter that Broadway is to New York City and the way that New York City is an epicenter of America. Um, and when you think about the theatrical arts community, you know, it, ha- it has to have its flagship <laughs> store. And the-, the theater arts flagship store is Broadway. So when that shut down, what was running through your mind? Were you thinking, how long is this going to be? How are we going to survive? Were you just tackling one problem at a time day after day? Were you thinking long-term? What was going through your mind? Yeah, I, I hadn't thought long-term yet uh, for two reasons. Uh, I'm, I'm very good at compartmentalizing. <laughs> and, and in order to think long-term, I think I wouldn't have been able to be a leader in the short term. And that that was what was needed. You know, I had a uh, I had 90 people uh expecting to show up to work that night at the Broadhurst Theater uh for Jagged Little Pill. And I had to get on the phone with them. We organized very hastily a conference call as soon as the governor made that decision for every crew member, every box office worker, every usher, and certainly all the actors and musicians. And we explained to them what we knew. And what we knew was that Broadway was shutting down. I think at that point it was three weeks. Uh, I think through April 12th was the decision. And I really believe that. And I believe that we were going to find a way to pay people for um, a few weeks, you know, hopefully the majority of that, you know, few weeks shut down. Uh, I believed we were going to um, find ways to um, to rebound from that few weeks shutdown, and that's what I focused on. I focused on the the safe return of people's personal items and and people's people's selves. You know, we actually were a show. Jagged Little Pill specifically was a show 
uh, similar to many shows on Broadway that had an outbreak. So we were worried about that. We were worried about people being able to get tests. If you recall, this was a point where getting a test was really, really problematic. And I was worried about and keeping focused on um, what it would be like to sell tickets and keep a safe theater and keep the audience safe and keep the cast safe uh, for the spring and summer months while this was, you know, hopefully disappearing. And uh, as as April came, it was clear that Broadway was going to be shut down for a long time because the theater environment, the enclosed environment, especially backstage in these old, old theaters, there was just no way to keep people really safe from what turned out to be a, a virus that is transmissible through the air. You know, initially they started talking about, you know, transmissions through touch, but obviously that was wrong. And I imagine in, in your mind, there really wasn't a conceivable way to keep the performers, the crew, the musicians, the the ushers, to keep everyone safe if you did reopen, let alone the theater goers. Right, right. Yeah. And, and whether, uh, yes, to all of that, Steve, but also as to whether these theater goers would want to come. Who wants to put themselves in harm's way to see a show? I mean, <laughs> I love theater, don't get me wrong, but to risk your life is, uh, it, 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 it's not that great. <laughs> and, right. and this was a moment where we, we knew so little about this disease other than it was deadly. We had learned at that point it had killed um, or had made very sick Terrence McNally. Uh, Nick Cordero, Adam Schlesinger. I mean, we're talking, you know, titans of the theater community. Uh, Some of these artists are not old. And it was very, very scary to us to think that anyone, especially what is largely an an older audience that goes to the theater, would would want to put themselves at risk. Um, Mm. And without people in the audience... Box office and finances aside, I mean, of course we can't run if we don't have the ticket sales, but an empty audience, that's that, that's not how you put on a show. That's not what it, our art form is about. So it, it you know, eventually in, in those in those following weeks and months, we we had sort of a existential crisis about how how were we going to survive? One of those people Eva Price worried about was Ernie Paler. Before uh the pandemic, I was uh, a Broadway uh, stage doorman at the Broadhurst Theater. The entire cast and crew of Jagged Little Pill knows and loves Ernie. I'm the best uh, stage doorman on Broadway. I met up with Ernie inside his apartment in the Bronx. We sound a little muffled because we're both wearing several masks. He had a really tough time when Broadway shut down, and then things just kept getting worse. You're the gatekeeper. Everything comes through you, right? That is correct. All packages, mail, food, guests, everything comes through the stage door. Um, You can't get in backstage unless you see me. Talk to me about the the Broadway family. You're you're with these people more than your own personal family, right? During, During the run of a show? Six days a week, eight shows a week. How close is that family? You know, very close-knit because you're spending hours on end with the same people every day. Um, So you can't help but get close to them. Do you remember the first time you heard about coronavirus back then? 
Yeah, there was like, you know, um, you know, some scuttlebutt, you know, talking about like um, the impending virus. And it was scary because they were worried, everybody was worried about us closing or shutting down for a little bit. Actually, one of the um, ushers got sick, and that's when, that's when everybody knew it was kind of uh, getting serious. It was a scary time because no one knew what was going to happen. Uh, no one knew how long we would be out. No one knew who had it. No one knew uh, what would happen if you if you did contract it. Towards the end of March. I got, I started to get, feel the symptoms of the coronavirus, but I didn't know it was the coronavirus at the time. It's something that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. I was worried about getting my my wife sick. I was scared. It was a scary time. Like I said, I was worried about her. Uh, I was worried about Broadway in general. Would I have a job, you know, to come back to? How how serious was was this, um, you know, it, it was a scary time. And uh, for Broadway to shut down like, like it did, you know, we uh, we thought it would probably be like maybe like a month, maybe two. Did your wife wind up getting sick or anybody else close to you? Um, my wife was fine, but uh, my mother contracted the coronavirus short, shortly after I did, actually. Um, I was... Uh, down and out for like maybe, uh, I want to say a week and a half of actually being sick. And like uh, a week later, my mom um, uh, got sick with the coronavirus. She she went to the hospital and um, she was in an adult care facility and uh, they took her to the hospital and uh, she never actually returned back. She um, she actually died in the hospital, and shortly before she died, um, through the graciousness of the uh, doctors and nurses um, at the hospital, uh, at that time they weren't allowing any any uh, family members to come visit, so we couldn't spend my mother's final moments with her to hold her hand or anything like that. We uh, had to say our goodbyes to my mother via uh, like a Skype type of situation uh, over the phone. So I was able to see my mother and I saw her struggling to to breathe and talk and everything and it was very heartbreaking and um, her death uh, put me in a deep um, depression. Ernie told me that he just couldn't escape the thought that he might have given COVID to his mother after contracting it at the theater. Sitting around his apartment made matters worse, so he got some work as a delivery man. But he injured his left foot on the job. Now, Ernie's a diabetic, and as often happens with diabetics, the foot injury became infected. Being in a deep depression... It got in the way of seeking medical help until it got really bad. He wound up in a hospital, and doctors had to amputate his foot in order to save his life from the infection. And once again, the Broadway community came through for me. Um, One fan of the show 
who um, I became um, close to. She used to come from North Carolina to come see the show. We became Facebook friends, and she heard about what happened to me, and she wanted to do something for me. She got in contact with another fan of uh, Jagged Little Pill. The two of them got together and started a GoFundMe for me. Uh, it blew up. I mean, I've had uh, my Anastasia family donate money, my Rock of, Rock of Ages family donate money, and definitely the fans and, and of the shows that I worked for, um, when they heard about me being uh, sick and losing a foot, I mean, they really came through for me. And it was very much overwhelming with the love and support from the Broadway community for me. Um, I really didn't think I was that worthy um, for what they did for me, but um, I'm forever grateful for them. There in his Bronx apartment, sitting in a wheelchair, Ernie said he hoped to return to his Broadway family, that with the help of a prosthetic leg, he thought he'd be able to keep his self-proclaimed title of the best stage doorman on Broadway. That kind of hope is shared by the thousands of people who made it to the Great White Way before the pandemic, shared by cast members Deanne Stewart and Derek Klenna, and stage manager Ira Mont who sometimes returns to a desolate West 44th Street in New York's theater district. How have you been getting by? Well, my pat answer when folks have asked how my wife and I and my family are doing has been, we are healthy, we have not run out of money yet, and we haven't killed each other yet. <laughs> uh, and all of those things are true. Um, my wife and I have been unemployed. Uh, we have not uh, sought non-entertainment employment yet. I've had the good fortune to do a little bit of work over the course of the year. Uh, as I, I said, I got to do some Jack Little Pill endeavors, the, the two television events and our live stream concert. I was fortunate enough to work on a brief uh, choreographic development session for another show, so that was uh, interesting and kept me busy. It was actually the first in-person live theater uh, mm -hmm event in New York City uh, that was approved by Actors' Equity and stage directors and choreographers' unions, and it was quite successful. We're managing. Uh, we're n nervous, to be quite frank and honest. We're nervous about the six to nine months, hope, which ho is hopefully all it will be, ahead because, um, you know, everything is stretched thin. Our, our emotions, our finances, so we're confident and we're gonna, we're gonna make it through, but we're, we're nervous. I am incredibly heartbroken about, about people's livelihoods financially, but I am equally heartbroken about their mental health. Every day, as they work toward their end goal, producers like Eva Price are thinking about the roughly 90,000 New Yorkers who depend on the Broadway economy. These people not only had their livelihood and their reason for being and their passion taken away from them overnight, but they are intended to come back one day at an unknown date with no real timeline in place and, and, and no real detail about the return and 
assume that they have it all still intact the way they had it on March 11th, as though their bodies are ready to dance those dances and their voices are ready to sing those songs and their emotional in, their emotional IQ <laughs> is functioning at a place where they can handle the dramatic and emotional roller coaster of being an actor. Broadway generates billions of dollars for the economy of New York City. And it's part of this city's personality. It's fiber. Yeah. Right? So I, I'm wondering, what's your outlook for the future of New York City, given the role that Broadway plays and, and feeling this real insecurity about when it might reopen? The days of not knowing and the days of thinking we know and the days of planning and worrying and remounting and and solving how to how to have a safe protocol work environment for everyone on stage backstage and for the audience it, it's it's going to be the greatest challenge of all of our lives fortunately for the people in the broadway community overcoming challenges is built into their dna coming up in part 2 of our look at the broadway shutdown on new york gritty the road back. I feel very optimistic that it'll be back. It'll feel it'll feel similar as to how it felt on March 10th, but God, it'll feel so different. <laughs> I think the camaraderie, the social element to it, the backstage unity that once was will will be again. I think we'll see a lot of change and just like excitement for what's to come. It's gonna take a minute. The, the light switch isn't gonna get flicked on and Broadway will be back in the drop of a dime on the sidewalk. People are gonna crowd again and they're gonna be maybe a little nicer, maybe a little happier to be in that crowd um, and certainly equally excited to see their show. Subscribe to New York Gritty on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Rate and review us as well. You can check out our website at nygritty.com and send me an email if you have a story about how you're getting by during the pandemic. Steve at nygritty.com. Follow New York Gritty on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for details on upcoming episodes and more information about the impact of the coronavirus pandemic. I'm Steve Kastenbaum. Thanks for listening.